bottom of the Smash Mountain, Season 2, Episode 41, Side Notes and Tunnels. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Jesse. You can also call me Cypher. Hey, look, you get it. Welcome. So I have Johnny Gamble. That's right. We got Gumball in here. Now you'll hear a little bit about that story and more. We do have a nice long conversation here. Johnny can talk. I can talk. So let's not waste too much more of your time. Let's just go ahead and get right into this. Please enjoy, and I'll catch up with you a little bit after that. Why is it so quiet? Oh, right, transition. Here we are, bottom of the Smash Mountain, and today I'm so happy to be joined by Johnny Gamble, who most of you know as a legendary Pennsylvania-based T.O. and all-around awesome, you get it. Johnny, thank you so much for joining me. Of course, no problem at all. Good to help out a Pennsylvania man, you being from Lancaster, me being from Philly and Pittsburgh. Yeah, and that's going to be part of what we go over here is how you have influenced both regions, which one you came up in, which one you landed in. Although I have a general idea of how that went, I, I, would, love to, I would love to hear more details. So, oh, and I should say, while I did do a little bit of research, I didn't do a ton. So if you quiz me, I will probably get a D minus barely pass that's what I would imagine myself to be with the knowledge about you I'm excited to learn more from the man himself thank and I really appreciate you taking the time to to do this so one thing I will say before we get started I just wanted to tell you before we dive in here that several people people <clears throat> including including Valerie Wonderland and stock money made sure to tell me by the way when you get more people on Johnny Gamble has to be one of them Oh, that's uh, that's very kind of them. Stock and Val are both really good, really good friends of mine. So let's start at the beginning. When did you first get into Melee? So like a lot of other kids, uh, I ended up getting Melee for Christmas one year when I was a kid. Uh, we got it with, I don't know, Super Monkey Ball and Melee for Christmas one year, me and my sister. And Melee easily became my favorite game. Uh, I would play Link because he had a sword, which thus made him the coolest character ever. Basically, I would get home from school and play Melee every day. It was definitely by far my uh, favorite game of all, like favorite game to play as, as a kid. And then as I got older and eventually discovered the internet, the first thing I did was when I, when I got on the internet was search for Super Smash Bros. Melee 2. I didn't know it was pronounced Melee. I thought it was pronounced Melee. <laughs> um, and it just so happened that the E3 trailer for Brawl 2006 had just come out. Uh, the Brawl Dojo itself wasn't up, but there was a precursor site which just had character descriptions for the few newcomers that were announced. And I, my mind was blown. Seeing that seeing the Wii was coming to come out and with Brawl and everything, I was hooked. So I did some more research. Uh, YouTube was a thing by that point, so I found combo videos on YouTube. I found Smashboards. I found SmashWiki. And so I made a Smashboards account, and I knew about advanced techniques and stuff, but I was still pretty young. I was in fourth or fifth grade at this point. So I knew how to wave dash, but all I was really doing was just beating up level nine CPUs with Link, you know, (laughs) you know, like Link versus Bowser on Final Destination, just me beating them up as a kid. And on Smashboards, I didn't really even spend that much time looking at the competitive stuff. I was more in like the Brawl character threads, like stuff like Geno for Brawl, Ridley for Brawl, uh, Mega Man for Brawl, those type of things. So... I, ha- I knew a little bit about the competitive scene, but it's hard to say I 
cared more for that than the casual side of it. It was so fun keeping up with new characters. And when the Brawl JoJo actually started, checking it every weekday, seeing all those results. Uh, you had Apostle on the other day. And one important... And he told a story about um, seeing Sonic when Sonic was first unleashed on the, uh, on the Brawl Dojo. What people don't remember about that day was that they also announced a delay for Brawl. So Brawl was originally going to come out, I believe, December 7th, 2007. Or maybe December 3rd, I don't know. I think it was December 3rd, yeah. Yeah, so it was going to come out that day, but on the same day that they announced Sonic, they also delay, They also announced that they were delaying the game later on. So when I showed up to school that day, everyone I knew was pumped, you know, like, oh my god, Sonic's going to be in the game. And I had to be the bearer of bad news being like, oh no, they also delayed it. Like, none of them believed me, but then as soon as they got home and saw it themselves, they, they were like, alright, Johnny, you were right. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, but anyway, um, I got Brawl at at midnight release when it came out, mind you. I I showed up like super tired to CCD the next day. Um, so I got I got Brawl at midnight release, played it a bunch. But by that time, I was in middle school, and most of what my friends were playing were stuff like Call of Duty, like Call of Duty Four and Halo Three were the two big games. And so I got into that. And as so as I got older, I got a little bit less into melee. Or into Smash, then uh, that kind of fell uh, fell off the wayside until a few years later. Uh, I learned a little bit about Project M, and remember, as someone who was more casual leading, Project M was like the coolest thing ever. I had been on Smash boards enough to understand why people didn't like Brawl as much. So when Project M is there, basically fashioning itself as an entirely new game, I was like, oh, I got to play this casually. So you know, I, I you know, <laughs> I downloaded PM on my old Wii. Still just beating up level 9 CPUs on an HDTV with a wave bird. Just, <laughs> like, wave dashing around and L-canceling, but still no actual, incl- no any inclination at all whatsoever in terms of actually wanting to play competitively at all. But I followed PM casually. I remember, I remember the day that they announced Roy, because announcing Roy was a huge deal for PM. Because um, the holy grail of Brawl modding was the... the was uh, dubbed the clone engine. So adding new characters to Brawl was always the thing that people hoped they could do. And when they announced Roy for Project M, there was there was a little ask, or uh, in the like the trademark section on the bottom. They said clone engine trademark to Dantarian or, or or some other name like that. And that was that like blew my mind because if by adding the clone engine to PM, that meant that you could add uh, more characters to that. But but. Uh, Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself there. So I still played PM casually still, so I followed it a little bit. Uh, and I spent a lot of time on Reddit. And so when Nintendo canceled the uh, Evo 2013 uh, Melee stream, I remember thinking, like, oh, man, I used to watch competitive Melee all the time. Like, that's so uh, crappy, so shitty that Nintendo would do that to them. I'm going to make sure I tune into this. So I spent the whole weekend. Yeah, you, you, I mean, I'm, I'm sure a lot of listeners are, you know, stream mon- or stream monsters or whatever the whatever the the better term for that is. But uh, I stream that was the first event I ever stream monstered. So it was during the summer, and I was off from school. So all of Friday, all of Saturday, all of Sunday, I watched the entire thing. Even all the FGC top eights at that at that Evo top eights are always a fun. Evo Sunday is what, still one of the most fun. Uh, just any watching a fighting game tournament days of all time, but I, I was watching these um, these things and I barely recognized any of their names. Like uh, 
I remember I was watching a match, and this one Falco player had this really stupid tag. So I was cheering for this player, and lo and behold, it won. It was Dr. Pee-Pee. <laughs> so I was cheering for Dr. Pee-Pee, not unbeknownst to me, him being one of the best players in the world, just because I was watching the game, and I was like, oh, he has a stupid tag. He must be really bad. But no, he's actually one of the best players in the world. And the only two players whose names I recognized were Mewtwo King and Wobbles. So when top eight of that tournament actually came around... Um, Wobbles went went off. He got ended up getting second, and that was so cool to me. I was like, oh my god, this player that I had heard of, seen on the Smash Wiki so many years ago, still playing and still doing well. So I had a really fun time stream-monstering that event and watching it, but I mean, it wasn't something that um, that, I mean, I, I had a fun time watching it, but I wasn't, still wasn't all that interested in the, in the competition aspect of it. And so, getting back to that Project M thing, uh, after they announced Roy, they announced that at the Big House 3 in October 2013, they were going to show footage of Roy being played at the Big House 3. So I was like, okay, well, I had a fun time watching Evo. Why don't I just watch this tournament too? And so that was a great event. Uh, the Friday night, it was a two-day event. Um, you a juggle guy on, so... Um, he hosted that, but anyway, it was a it was a two day event, so Saturday and Sunday. But Friday they still had the venue, so actually they showed the first episode of the Smash Doc that Friday night, right before the tournament. So I watched that episode and I was like, okay, yeah, you know, this community is pretty cool, huh? And then over the course of the weekend, I kept tuning in, hoping to watch Project M Roy footage, and freaking juggle guy pm hater extraordinaire never actually put any roy footage on the mainstream (laughs) so i'm sitting there waiting there to tune in like they showed project m top eight but they never showed any footage of this character i was so looking forward to see and then they had they had a trailer for pm that then showed mewtwo was in it was like oh my god that's amazing but the actual takeaway from that event is i sat there watching melee for the entire weekend and that was the most fun I had ever had watching a stream. This was the first event that Scar and Toph commentated with each other, and they were just such a dynamic duo. They were making every set so entertaining for me to watch, and especially as a newcomer who barely understands what's going on, it was amazing to see. Especially as someone who one of the few players I recognized was Mewtwo King. Because if you remember what event this was, this was the quote-unquote Return of the King where he beats PP, someone who he had a long losing streak to, and Scar made a good point of showing that he had a long losing streak to, and then he clobbers Hungrybox. And Scar again makes a big point of like, oh my god, Mewtwo King's playing on fire! And then there are so many other six sets of that. Uh, Pew Pew versus Hacks, I remember, was a six set. Or maybe that was S-Fat versus Hacks. Or, and then I, actually, I think they both played. But a- a- anyway, great, great tournament and I came out of that event thinking man I had such a fun time this is a community for a game I love so much I should go to an event if I get my driver's license before January 2014 because everyone had been hyping up uh, if I get my driver's license before January 2014 I am going to Apex 2014 the Super Bowl of Smash every every stream was broadcasting or uh, highlighting Apex 2014 as the biggest event of all time to go to again the Super Bowl of Smash so lo and behold I got my driver's license a month later and then with my dad I went to my very first tournament Apex 2014 um 
Oh, uh, I, I did mention it. I'm from Westchester, Pennsylvania, which is a suburb about 45 minutes or 30 to, min- 30 to 45 minutes west of Philly. So Apex 2014 was pretty close. It, it was definitely a driving distance event. So I went up there with my dad. I was still in high school at the time, and I had a really good time. I, I, I coincidentally, I met some of uh, some friends there from Philly who were all like, "Oh, you go join the Facebook group." Uh, super welcoming. Uh, one of them was Metal Reaper, who I still consider a pretty good friend. Still, still enters uh, every week at uh, Smash at the Lab. Um, but anyway, I go to Apex 2014, and it's definitely a bit. Uh, it's definitely a bit. Um, uh, a bit of a jump at first. It was definitely intimidating to walk in. I, actually, fun, fun fact, uh, side note, the first player I saw and recognized when I walked in the venue was Mango. And my first thought was, man, Mango is so much shorter than I expected. <laughs> I had no I had no idea. I had never thought about the heights of these players. Like, I remember reading somewhere that Mutiking was short, so he was about the size I was expecting. But, like... But, like, Mango is so much shorter than I thought. The NorCal trio of SFAT, PewPew, and uh, Shroomed, all much shorter than I expected. I mean, which doesn't really matter, but it was just something I never thought about until I actually saw people in person. Um, but anyway, so I went to Apex 2014, had a good time, went to a few more events. Um, and then later on, and so I went to more events in Philly then, because that was my local scene then. Um... While I was, I'm I'm from Westchester, the suburb, but the city, the 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 town itself is known more for its college, and so there were some college students at Westchester who made the decision to let's actually host tournaments on our campus. One of them being Valerie Alice in Wonderland, uh, who you had on the other day. So, um, so there were these, there was this great event uh, series started in Westchester, the Westchester Smash Biweekly. So that was my main event to go to. It was every, it was bi-weekly, so every two weeks, and it became the focal point for the greater Philadelphia Smash scene. So Westchester, as it turns out, is the perfect like focal point between the the Philly tri, the Philly tri-state area of the Philadelphia suburbs, Delaware, and South Jersey. So Westchester was a perfect mix to get all three of those subregions together. So Westchester was the premier event for Philly when I first started playing, and it was in my hometown. So I went to that. Uh, that's where I met Valerie. That's where I became somewhat of a better player, and that's where I learned the importance of good TOing because the Westchester Smash Biweekly was a little rough at first. Um, I didn't TO myself at all. That was still Valerie, Justin, and uh, Max Myers, but um, but it was an event where. I would see week to week Valerie and her crew improve their TOing week by week. And so, so, so that was the earliest like thing in my mind because I would help out a little bit. Like um, I would help register some people. I would help prepare some of the, like help clean up, help set up setups at the beginning. Side note, Valerie is annoying sometimes. So, so, so this is a fun story. So since I live so close, I would always bring two setups I would always bring two CRTs and two GameCube slash Wii. So I'd have two full setups. And this was an event where if you brought a setup, you would get $5 back. So, so it was a $5 venue fee. So basically, you, would get, you wouldn't have to pay venue fee if you brought a setup. But I'm bringing two setups. So I've always been of the opinion that I should have... 
I should I should have gotten an additional five dollars. Not as in you have to pay me, but as in for my entry fee that should go to it. Because this because Westchester capped how many setup rebates they would give you at ten total setups. And when I'm bringing two setups right at the beginning of the tournament, I'm taking two away from that from that slotted from that allotted ten. Um, and so I would always argue with Valerie, like, no, I should, I should get $10 back because, um, because I'm bringing these extra setups and by bringing an extra one, I take that five bucks away from someone else. So side note at Pittsburgh events, if you bring multiple setups, you can get up to your entire entry fee back. That is a, that is a hill I will die on the entire time. If you're going to go out of your way to bring extra setups, you will be rewarded for it. Like, I always explain it this way. Like, if if you're running an event and like an esports organization offers, like, hey, we will bring twenty organ, we'll bring twenty subs, we'll bring twenty wees, you're gonna give them more than five bucks, right? Like, if they're putting in the work to bring extra setups, you should reward that. Anyway, whatever, Valerie. Maybe, maybe Val and I are still get in fights about this. Well, whenever I see her, it's been a long time since she moved. But um, anyway, so. I was going to events at Westchester, leveling up as a player, getting to really know a lot of the Philly Smash people. So I became a little bit of a meme myself. Uh, There was one Westchester where all the South Jersey people entered as different versions of my name. So there was like, there was Wani Gamble. uh, The guy's name was Juan. Uh, There was Johnny Gamble 2, because Sun 2, his first name was John. Although he spells it with an H, so we hate that. Uh, uh, There was Danny Gamble from Zodiac... Anyway, so, so, so I, I became known in the Philly Smash community as, as a somewhat decent player. I, I definitely wasn't PR'd or anything, but I would consistently make it out of pools. But um, as time went on, I graduated high school, uh, and the college I went to was Pitt, at the University of Pittsburgh. Um, and so um, when I entered things... Oh, okay, side note. Uh, my tag in Philly was just Johnny Gamble. My, my name is Johnny Gamble. Uh, my original tag that I had on Smashboards even back in the day was Calvin Wars. Uh, I made that tag in third grade because that's when I discovered Smashboards. And it was just a mix of my two favorite things, Calvin and Hobbes and Star Wars. My password was definitely, definitely hot or, uh, Star Hobbs, but we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> um, anyway, but when I first showed up to Apex 2014... Someone was like, oh, hey, Calvin, do you want to come over here and play with us? And I like looked around and was like, who? I, <laughs> Calvin's not my name. So many people thought that Calvin was my first name, so I had to nix that tag, so I just went with my name. Um, but eventually, when I went to college, uh, I went to the University of Pittsburgh, all the way across the state. Uh, very different scenes. Uh, if you don't know about Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania is a large state uh, with mountains in the middle, including Lancaster, Pennsylvania, where good old Jesse's from. Um, so the, the Philly and Pittsburgh scenes are very, are not the same scene. It's kind of like NorCal and SoCal. Like, yes, they're close by. They might go to each other's events in a while, but culturally they're very, very different. And so when I first showed up to Pittsburgh, I was saying like, oh, I'm Johnny Gamble. I'm, I'm glad to be at Man on a Ledge. And everyone was like, oh no, one, it's mole. It's not Man on a Ledge. It's pronounced mole. And also it's dumb. You can't enter events with just your name. Uh, we're going to change your tag to be something, this, that, or the other. And eventually what stuck is Gumball. Johnny Gamble got bastardized to Johnny Gumball. And since then, Gumball is stuck. And so you might be thinking, like, oh, man, it sucks that they changed your tag without your consent. But honestly, I like it a lot. 
I think gumball is a really good tag. It's two syllables. It's easy to say. And honestly, it's good. I like it. And I wasn't the first person that's happened to. There, There's a lot of infamous stories about uh, Pittsburgh players getting their tags changed because they entered with something stupid. One player uh, entered with a tag uh, exclamation point, like just the character of the exclamation point. So... Bean Wolf and his TO team changed his tag into Charlie Brown because he was wearing a Charlie Brown shirt that day. And Charlie Brown still uses that tag today. He's actually a famous YouTuber nowadays making videos on, on Super Mario 64. Um, and he had his recent video on a, a, a blindfolded cheater got multiple million views. An amazing video. Uh, another TO for Pittsburgh, Bambi, was not Bambi when she first showed up to Mole. She, uh, her old tag was Rixis, but then on Facebook she had a Bambi profile picture, so she became Bambi. Um, so th- anyway, um, so I got to Pittsburgh. They changed my tag to Gumball. I still go to events and have a good time. Pittsburgh is a very, very unique scene. It, it's something that's really fun to be a part of. Um, so I really... Uh, grew to be there, and Mole, Mole is like an institution. Or Man on a Ledge is our uh, weekly weekly tournament in Pittsburgh. Uh, it started, I believe, in 2014 and has not missed a single week in its entire run. There has never been a week without a Man on a Ledge tournament. Um, and it's a streak of over seven years now. Uh, so Mole, Mole is an institution, uh, but. The whole point was Mole was run and organized by Pit Smash students. And the existing TOs at the time, Kofi, Bean Wolf, Graphite Zeppelin, and uh, Mordecon, were all, re- were all graduating and going to move on to other pastures. So one thing, um, one thing the, Pit, the, like the Pittsburgh TOs really try to do is make sure they, to leave a legacy. Make sure that when you leave the college, you have... Uh, there are still more t- tournament organizers there for things. So I was kind of co-opted into being a TO. I didn't choose to become a TO. Uh, Kofi pointed out, oh, Gumball is is good at this type of thing. He's a good player, he's passionate about Melee, and he will show up to events. Let's build him up to be a tournament organizer. So I, so I became one of the main Pittsburgh Smash TOs. Me, Bambi, who was still going to school then, and uh, I have Sonar, another player actually from Eastern PA, uh, who went to Pit too. So we became um, so we became the main organizers of Mole, uh, Pit Smash Presents, and Fight Pit. Then, um, pretty early on, I realized that my career as a player was over now that I was a tournament organizer. So the very first uh, the very first uh, like Pit Smash Presents, which is our monthlies that we hosted. I was too busy the entire day to play a single friendly. And as I was going through the day, this thought just came to mind like, okay, looks like this is it. Looks this is, looks like your competitive career is over. You're just a tournament organizer now. Which was completely fine by me. I, I never went to these events hoping to be the best player in the world. I want, I'd go to these events to have a fun time. I have so, I've made so many friends in Philly and Pittsburgh just through playing Melee that just being at an event is a really, really fun time. And I enjoy TOing. So many, I, I mentioned before how so many other uh, Pittsburgh TOs were co-opted in it. So many people didn't want to be a TO. They were just forced into that role. But of all the pit TOs I've known, I've been the one to actually enjoy doing it. It's really fun running an event. Um, 
So I became Pittsburgh Smash TO. Um, I would run Man on a Ledge every week. I would run our uh, every two month uh, Pit Smash Presents tournaments and Fight Pit, which is our annual thing. For Fight Pit, uh, we would pool all of our money together to spend it all on Fight Pit every year. So all of the venue fees from Man on a Ledge and Pit Smash Presents were carried over and then splurged on Fight Pit to always make that a fun time. There are definitely some bumps along the way, but all in all, I'm very happy with how it turned out. And I'm glad to continue being a TO. Uh, since the pandemic started, we haven't been able to um, have in-person events, obviously, so Mole has had to go online. But uh, I'm still in Pittsburgh. I still want to do TOing stuff, and uh, I'm glad to help out the community however I can. Yeah, but <clears throat> have you graduated from Pitt yet? Yeah, I have graduated. So I graduated December 2018. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, like, you, you're yeah. not still at school, so like... Did you find somebody to replace you, or were you like, ah, I'll just stick around? Well, <laughs> this is kind of funny. So I had set up, so so I had found people to replace me. I, I, I called them my interns. I had found multiple people to replace me, because um, I graduated December 2018, and my last hurrah was Fight Pit 9 in 2019. So Fight Pit 9 was going to be my big event, my big going away thing, because I didn't have a job lined up straight out of school. Um, so I lined up TOs, uh, Zelfirix, Crike, uh, Fahey, uh, Greg, and Thost to replace me. But the problem is that uh, in the pandemic, they have all graduated since. <laughs> and I don't know who currently is at Pitt. So since I still live in the city, I, I'm, I'm hoping to take that back over and then find the next person to uh, to 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 instill as the as the pit smash to but but as it stands it is me uh as the main guy i mean we, we still it's not that it's only the university that hosts things like stro a long-standing member of the community uh is the one running our uh, online mole events right now um so so it's not it's not like we're it's not like everything has fallen apart um, it's just the, the plans I had laid for the next generation all went away because of the quarantine then because of, uh, because of not having, being able to have in-person events there, but I'm still around and I will find whatever pit freshman that I will then co-opt into being a TO. There is someone who'll like it. And if not, I do enjoy this stuff. I like living in Pittsburgh. I'm going to still going to be TOing as long as I live around there. So I would say to your credit, the people that you originally chose pre-pandemic should have been the ones to find a way to make all of that work when the pandemic actually started. So that's just a thought, uh, you know, I, no, to give I, credit I to di- you. I kind of disagree there. It, it's TOing is something you learn on the job. So it's hard to set that up when you're not on the job. Like, like, we, like I said, we still had net play mole events, but you're never going to it's going to be a completely different experience running something like fight pit then so i had set them up and i was still going to be around to help them out with running pit smash presents and mole and fight pit and stuff but it's hard to train the next generation when you haven't been trained yourself um so so like i'm confident that they, that they could have done a good job if i wasn't still around but i i care as a to you you can't ever stop caring for this stuff. I, I'm passionate. I care about this. So so as long as I'm around, I'm going to help out however I can. So whether that's the next generation or someone else or something. 
can we can we squash some some beef here where I think that this is a great topic where it's not too serious, but we can get a little serious about this. Are there actually mountains in Pennsylvania, Johnny? Uh, you drive through three tunnels on the way between Pittsburgh and Philly on the turnpike. They are mountains. In Pittsburgh, I live in a neighborhood called Mount Washington, which is a big hill to drive up on. I'm going to say that there are. Now, granted, they're probably not mountain mountains. Like, I, I don't think they're. I don't think there's like any peaks or anything, but. I say that there are. Appalachia goes all through the area. I don't know how well you know Western PA, but like the Appalachian Trail and stuff is go th- goes through that mountain range. Yeah, so I don't know Western PA like super well. I've never lived over there, but I politely disagree because although if you... we're go-, go ahead, if we're going into Pennsylvania beef, I got issues with Lancaster, Jesse. All right, go ahead, name them. So, driving up to Lancaster from uh, Westchester, where I'm from, you have to take two highways to get there, Route 30 and Route 41. One-lane highways that you can easily go 50 or 60 miles an hour on, but there's always somebody going 30. 30 miles an hour on this one-lane road that you have clear visibility could easily go a lot faster. And also, there are a lot of trucks on this road. Trucks that then get stopped by my mortal enemies, the Amish. The Amish, I hate them. I'm not a fan of the Lancaster, Lancaster PA Amish. They're always riding the horse and buggies on this road, and then trucks can't go around them. So whenever I would take a trip to central PA, it would always take so much longer than it should have. So I, I, got, I got beef there. That's very fair. I'm not going to push back on any of that because those are all things that are 100% true. It is. It takes a special person to not get frustrated driving around in Lancaster County. Yep. But the whole thing, the whole thing about the mountain thing, though, to wrap that up, is me saying I have been to the Rockies, and when I saw those, I was like, okay, yeah, Pennsylvania doesn't really have this where it's 14,000 feet up in the air and that kind of stuff. So that's why I say they're just really, really big hills, but I don't know if they deserve the word mountains at all times or, or at all in Pennsylvania. That's my, that's my opinion on it. So you have a much better frame of reference then because <laughs> I have never been to the Rockies or seen anything close to that. So <laughs> you have a much better idea for actual mountains then, so... That, that's going to be my other question here. How much traveling have you been able to do outside of the state? Because you mentioned Big House and watching Big House 3, but have you been able to go to any of those? Have you tried to go down south to like, you know, SmashCon is usually in Virginia. So like, how, how far have you been able to go to other events? So so this is a regret I've, ha- I've had. Uh, when I was in college, I really wanted to go to more out-of-region events, but I just didn't have the means to. Um... I do love traveling, though, especially car trips. Like, right before the pandemic ended, I had trips planned to Full Bloom in Bloomington, uh, Columbus, Ohio, uh, Baltimore for Pound. Uh, Was probably going to go to SmashCon, but hadn't actually signed up for that. And the old Riptide, also in Ohio. Um, I have done some traveling. Let let me see here. Uh, I have entered tournaments in, I think, eight different states. Let me me count this aloud here. Uh, New Jersey... Pennsylvania, Delaware, uh, Ohio, West Virginia, Michigan, uh, Maryland because I went to I went to one Xanadu, uh, Nevada because I went to Evo 2016. Fun fact: uh, Hungrybox won that event, but 
on his path, he definitely beat uh, Johnny Gumball <laughs> on route to winning Evo 2016. Oh, is that right? Um, yep. And actually, I, I I got one more. If you include Puerto Rico, I have entered an event in Puerto Rico. Let's uh, go. Yeah. So my uh my aunt got remarried, uh, and the person she remarried was loaded <laughs> so so they ended up paying uh like a large portion for us to go on a cruise leaving from puerto rico and so when we showed up for the cruise ship there just so happened to be a, ma- a manly tournament in puerto rico that day so i was like yo hey why don't we go to this just so i can you know mark it off on the thing and i was waiting in loser semis when it became apparent like yo we got to get back to that boat so I went to the guy who I beat in losers' quarters and said, "Man, I gotta go. You just want to move on for me." Um, but I would have had to play against the the person who knocked me out of winners, and he he kind of messed me up there. So I I think I was gonna get fourth at that tournament if I uh, actually stayed there. But that's still really cool that you're just like, "Wow, Cruz, this is really cool. Don't get to do this at it. Ooh, melee tournament. Stop the boat. <laughs> exactly. Like I." I I will still want to do more traveling. So so my hope is like whenever I go, you know, travel somewhere, th- this was a bigger thing before the pandemic. Uh, maybe it's, it's, it's a little less applicable now, but I, I would always want to try to find some version of melee wherever I went. If you don't, if you don't include just tournaments, I've also played melee in North Carolina because I went to a wedding. Actually, I went to a wedding in North Carolina and I didn't have, I didn't have a place to stay. So I just, I, I didn't have a place to stay, and I was just out of college, and I didn't have a job yet, so I didn't have money to pay for a hotel in the place. So what I did was I just hit up the North Carolina Melee group and was like, hey, uh, I'm going to be in the area for a wedding. Could any, would anyone be able to house me for a night? And uh, I don't know if you know who Sidward is. Um, he, he's, a, he's a Luigi player, uh, TO of a lot of online events. I've been doing really, really well. He offered to house me for the weekend. Uh the problem was that he lives in Raleigh, and the wedding I was in was in Chapel Hill, which was, a, I think, about an hour away. So, so, so that was that was a bit of a hassle because I had to, <laughs> driving down from Pittsburgh. It was eight hours to Chapel Hill, and then an extra into Raleigh. Then, so then, and then when I, once I got to Raleigh, the next day I had to drive an hour back and forth. So I couldn't I couldn't like drink at the wedding or anything. The, the wedding itself, I, I couldn't. I had to be tamed there. But overall, it was a really fun uh, weekend, and I, I actually I got to meet a bunch of uh, North Carolina Smashers. That's really cool. That even though you're you feel that your travel experience is limited, that you still have you know some stories to tell. And this is a precursor to what will probably be a super awesome 2022 or 2023 Johnny Gamble tour. Like it would yeah. be so wild to see you do something like that because I think that you could definitely documented a little bit i I think a lot of people whenever somebody talks about going on a smash journey and then going to different events in different states and like doing videos for it or whatever everybody else goes oh yeah that's a really good idea you should do that but does that appeal to you at all or what is more appealing to you if you think to yourself i'm going to enter a bunch of tournaments in a bunch of different states in a short ish amount of time um i'm more of a telling a verbal story rather than taking pictures of it. Like, like, like a pet peeve I have are people who go to concerts and are just on their phone, you know, looking up the entire time. Ugh. Side note, when, pe- when people do that and, like, I look at Snapchat stories, and if it's a friend, I'm still going to click through them just in case there's a photo of them at the place. But, like, it's so annoying having to click through that over and over and over again. It's like, are you even there at the event? 
Um, I should take more photos and videos and stuff, just because it is nice looking back on them. And if you only take a picture or two, then you're still there in the moment having fun. So I should oh, take sure. more photos. But but in the moment, I'm more focused on trying to have a good time. So like when I when I would go out of town to this stuff, I would almost I would almost always try to get in carpool there. The, the carpools with other Smashers are some of the most fun parts about it because everyone. Everyone has stories. Like, like there's a, there's an often quoted line like everyone has a Mewtwo King story. I, I have a Mewtwo King story if, if you want to get into that. But uh, um, so so when I go to these events, I try to focus on having a good time, meeting new people, having good experiences with them. You know, maybe going out to a restaurant with a group of Smashers and stuff instead of taking photos or documenting it necessarily. But it it is a good idea to take photos and stuff along those lines. I, I should do that more. It doesn't have to be exactly to your point. It does not have to be constant. It's just like a few here and there. You really don't have to make like a, a whole thing of it. It can just kind of feel like, like if you have to check your phone for a different reason, for like an Uber or to make sure this, that, or the third directions, it's just sort of like take the phone out real quick, snap a photo, put it back in and keep it rolling. And I think if that's something that you do, that'd be cool to see, at least from my perspective. But I, I have obviously gathered just from the short amount of time that we've been talking here that you enjoy telling stories. So I think that's really cool too. Something that you might do is just tell a story shortly after it happens, you know, before you go to bed at a random place, be like, so this happened today. Yeah, it was pretty wild. Yeah. Really cool yeah. though. All right. Good night. And then you just keep <laughs> moving. That might be fun too. Something that allows you to actually express how you want to tell a story as compared to, posting like 50,000 pictures from one like afternoon onto Facebook and photo dump or whatever. Yeah, definitely a hundred percent. It's, it's funny you say that because, um, I, but I, like a few months ago when I had a bit more free time, I was looking into making content along those lines, just like personal stories for, of like that I had had myself. Honestly, I, I wouldn't, try to make them about the community itself more just like small individual stories that you would tell in a car ride type thing so stuff that stories exactly like you hear on this type of podcast where, where you sit down with people it would be personal stories that i've had because um oh, patty had a really good video on this uh th th there's been one moment stuck in my head a lot uh do you ever watch blade runner no but please continue no. I, i'm okay. vaguely aware of the concept uh, okay so um Long story short, there's a robot that dies in the middle of the movie, and he has this really poignant speech about, even though you may not think I'm alive, I have so many memories, and as I die here, all of my memories will be lost. Lost just like tears in rain. And that's it, it's a really beautiful speech. It goes on a lot longer than that. But I remember I was working at my old job, and the actor for that guy died. Uh, I, I think his name is Rucker Hauer. And my coworker was a really big Blade Runner fan. He was telling me about how like important that speech was to him. It was a lot older than me, had a full family. Actually, he was expecting a grandkid at the time. Um, and had, he had a whole, this whole thing about that. And that has always stuck with me. Like, what is your legacy? Like, I have all these stories of going to Smash events, but do I have them written down? Do I have any like visual medium thing? And Patty, uh, one of your first guests, the guest that got me into listening to your podcast... Um, he had a video on his personal channel that was exactly about that, although it was centered more on death. His video was more, what legacy do you leave after death? A bit more morbid than I was going for. 
And and my thing is, I, I've thought about to myself, like, oh, what if I made content going on with these stories? Like, that Mewtwo Gang story I mentioned earlier is a fun one, and that was the video idea I was working on. But it's one of those things where it's like, I get out of work, and... I want my free time to be my free time. Like I, I know, I know, I know Premiere relatively well now because I, I spent some time um, uh, learning it, um, and and my work provided uh, uh, some LinkedIn course on it. Um, it. It just I need to, you know, I, I need to force myself to sit down and actually uh, make that video. But uh, that would be a really good idea for me is to tell those stories in a video format, kind of like uh, Seth likes to talk. You, you had him on as one of your, as one as a guest too, and the way that he described storytelling was exactly the way I feel about it as well. It's just it's fun to get a perspective with personality through storytelling. That stuff is so cool to me. So 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 you're right. I, I should work on that. I've just been lazy. Don't worry about it. I only just now, <coughs> this past weekend, uh, excuse me, entered my first melee tournament of my life and proudly, proudly went 0 and 2 and did some interviews on the side. But like I had a great time and I was thinking to myself while I was driving there of how nervous I was. I was, I was thinking to myself, <laughs> oh man, I've only been looking forward to this since like I found out about competitive melee like 2006 and it's 2021. Why, uh, why am I doing this now? Why didn't I do it much sooner? And like all these, like I was snowballing pretty hard, but thankfully I was driving. So I was distracted enough that I didn't change my mind and go home and like not go at all because I was like, I was teetering. I'll be honest with you. I was teetering there for a second, but it was so much fun. So it's never too late to hop into anything, right? I mean, if you wait that long to go 0 and 2 or wait that long to make a video that you have fun doing and that you don't feel like is work after work, because that's very valid as well. Take your time, Johnny. I think that whatever that turns out to be will be awesome. And would you be willing to spoil the M2K story, or do you want to try to keep that oh, under yeah. wraps? No, 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 no. I can tell that story. All right. So, all right. So, so here. So, I, I, I explained earlier that my first tournament ever was Apex 2014, right? Yes. So two weeks after that, I had just joined the Philadelphia Smash Group, and uh, the, there was an event on Penn's campus, uh, University of Pennsylvania in, in Philly. And so I just had a great time at Apex 2014, so I was like, okay, this event's only two weeks later. Let's go to this event. Uh, so I go to the event. Uh, I go O2, of course, uh, <laughs> as you yourself has just experienced last weekend, uh, losing to a Captain Falcon player. Ugh. Whatever. How did you uh, know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm sitting there at the tournament. Um, my my dad didn't want me going into the city alone, so I, I'm waiting for him to pick me up. And Mewtwo and Mewtwo King was at this tournament. He he still lived in Cinnaminson at the time, and um, I, I love the way Edwin Bed, Edwin Budding describes Mewtwo King of this era. He was a Smash nomad, so Mewtwo King would just go to any event that he could that he could make money at. And with something in Philly that close, he just stayed home that weekend. And so Mewtwo King is sitting there. He's sitting there in a chair, and he's sitting there with his little Mewtwo King voice going like, money match me, money match me, somebody money match me. I mean, because, again, this is how he made his living at the time. I, I don't mean to poke fun at this. Like, like, him money matching bad players and taking their money is how... Is, is how he made his living. Streaming wasn't a popular thing at the time. So anyway, he's sitting there going, money match me, money match me, somebody money match me. And me as a new player was like, all right, Mewtwo King, 
I'll money match you. But we're doing Pichu dittos. Side note, I had a friend from high school who was trash-talking me in Smash. We had a $20 money match ready to go in Melee. I knew I was going to beat that ass using Pichu. Because I knew that was going to I knew that was going to piss him off. So I figured, okay, if I play Pichu Dittos against Mewtwo King, maybe he can give me some pointers, you, you know. The, the only pointer there is is just Dash Dance Nair, but uh, <laughs> dash, <laughs> da, dash Dance Short Hop Nair, but but anyway, I figured, you know what? I'll I will accept Mewtwo King's money match and I'll play Pichu against him. And so we sit down, we play game 1. I only get two stocked. I'm like beaming. This is my second tournament ever. I only got two stopped by Mewtwo King. All right, let's go. Game two. Let's get it on. And as we're about to hit start in game two, the TO on the loudspeaker goes in. Mewtwo King, please report to the stream setup to play Winner's Finals versus Cactuar. And so Mewtwo King, without losing a beat, stands up, takes my dollar, and leaves. And I'm just sitting there like... Did Mewtwo King just take my dollar? <laughs> the set's not over. He can't take my dollar yet. What the hell, man? And, and I'm like too no, I'm too dumbstruck as a new player. Like, is that okay? Like, can top players just just do that? Uh, and, and so I'm like, okay, whatever. Uh, my dad ends up showing up, and, and so we end up leaving. Uh, but before we left, I went up to Mewtwo King and was like, hey, man, we didn't finish that money match. Like, what's the deal here? And he's like, oh, here, just next time you see me, we'll finish it. It has been seven damn years, Jesse. Mewtwo King has been <laughs> dodging me for seven years. The score is still 1-0 him, but I'll train for this. I got seven <laughs> years of practice in the book. This Pichu is going to dash dance around Mewtwo King and nair him. Haven't you ever had Mewtwo King at a fight pit? No, no. So, so Oh, my gosh, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> That's why. Uh, okay. <laughs> so Mewtwo King went to fight pits before I went up there. So, so That's even more. That's a, <laughs> it's it's just it's a conspiracy uh, at this point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So all right, so so so, so a, an actual TOing point is that if you want to get a god to your event, if you want to get one of the top 6, that's not Hungry Box, you basically need to guarantee another top 6 player is going to be there. So when you look back at the fight pits that had Mewtwo King Mango and Mewtwo King Mango there, so fight pit 3 and fight pit 4, that was just really fortuitous circumstances because Mango was living in Ohio at the time uh, with, with Lauren, his girlfriend. And Mewtwo King was still living in Jersey. So Fight Pit was the perfect midway point for them both to meet up, for them both to sign up for that event and run into each other. So without having both gods there, it's hard to get them there at all. Especially in today's time where going to an event is is a revenue loss for them because streaming is so large. And even then, what I have tried to aim for in my events... so. As a TO, one of my main principles is I want to run an event that I, as a player, as an out-of-region person, would want to go to. And so the most entertaining melee to me is watching Top 64. Watching players who are good, probably not, will probably lose to any of the gods, but between each other, like someone, let's think about recent uh, recent Fight Pit attendees. So someone like Cobol could lo- could lose to 30 people below him on the top 100 rank, but he could also beat 30 people above him on the top 100 rank. So for Fight Pit 7, Fight Pit 8, and Fight Pit 9, the three Fight Pits I was a member, I, I was a, a leader for, 
my goal in getting players to come was to have it be a toss-up between however many top 100 level players I could get. So my, my favorite event, Flight Pit 9, the one I was leading to, there were... Uh, I want to say 11 or 12. Wait, no, no, uh, no, no, it was 17. 17, because I remember the 16-17 the seed split was a thing. There were about 17 players who were fringe top 100 level. And if you told me any of those 17 players w- were, were going to win, I would have believed you. Like, I think 17th seed at that event was either Polish or Naomi, uh, formerly known as Cal. Because I remember I, I set that... When me and Stock seeded the bracket, that match that matchup set up perfectly, and I was like, "Oh my god, that's going to be an entertaining match right there." But but like you look at the rest of that event, like um, Cobol ended up winning. Cobol was not one of the top four seeds of that event. Cactuar and Stango, who were like, I think seeds like nine and ten or something, ended up getting second and third there. The most fun melee to me to watch. Is when you don't know the ex, you don't know who's going to win the event, you don't know who's going to win that set, you don't know who's going to go far in the tournament. So Fight Pit Nine, I tried to set up that way, and it worked out beautifully. I, I can't go, I can't talk enough about how much I loved Fight Pit Nine. Even if you had to yell at a few people for different reasons. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's just that's just what you got to do as a TO. You got to be a hard ass, which which is annoying. And you're gonna, there are gonna be situations where people don't deserve it. So, so, um, so at Fight Pit Nine, what what specifically do I yell at people for? So, all right. So, so one thing was, um, this was one of the first events that Slippy, uh, Slippy, like uh, GameCube recording, like, like recording the Slippy files, was a thing. So, I was hoping to have um, all of the top sixty-four sets at this event recorded. Um, and so in order to do that, I had to set up each Wii specifically such that it had the proper slippy equipment. And as I was trying to do that, a different player was going around to all of these things and, you know, doing something stupid with it. There are a lot of dumb melee things you can set up to be funny in the, on in the background. So like, so like one, my, my, okay, side note, my favorite dumb melee thing to just set on in the background is a T posing Donkey Kong. So if you, um, so in event match nine, uh, you know those event matches where you have to... It's 9 or 10, where you have to fight multiple characters in a row. You have two stocks and you have to beat five characters. So Donkey Kong and Peach in that game mode, when they spawn in, will spawn in a, in a T-pose. So my favorite thing is just to go into that event match, get to that, so you have a, a T-posing Peach facing a T-posing Donkey Kong. That's my favorite thing to do. But anyway, um, there was a different player... Uh, Boulder setting up on these TVs that I'm trying to set up for Slippy, putting on um, this training mode thing where you can get CPU Donkey Kongs to continually turn back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And so I had to go up to the guy and be like, hey, stop doing that. Come on, I'm trying to set these things up. And and he started giving me lip back, so I had to be like, I definitely had to yell at him. And I felt bad because later I found out I screwed him over individually. So, uh, side note, I liked... Uh, I screwed over Fendrick Lamar's bracket really badly at Fight Pit 7. So I like to... I have a mental award that I give to the person I screw over the most in the bracket uh, called the Fendrick Lamar Award. So uh, it turns out Boulders had reasonable... had a reasonable justification to be upset with me because I screwed him over in the bracket. So I rigged myself to play this one 
chitter. Like, like a guy, this guy PGH Stifler, who like would talk a lot of shit on Twitter and like spout memes and stuff. I knew I wanted to see what this guy looked like in person. So when he signed up for my event, I knew I was going to fight him specifically. But he no showed, so he DQ'd, and I was busy running the tournament, so I DQ'd. So Boulders just didn't have a first match because he had to play the winner of me versus a DQ'd person. And then in that very first match, he then lost to Free Palestine, another player from his own state. So he had he had to play a player from his own state. So so he didn't play at all. Then he had then he lost to a player from his own state. Then he beat one person. And then in the main bracket, I think he lost to another player from his own state. So he ended up getting 33rd while only winning one set. And I think those two sets that he lost were to people from his own state. And, and that just sucks. Like, 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 it sucks if you drive out of your way to go to Pittsburgh from Ohio and then you play people from Ohio. Uh, that, that's one of the things I try to avoid the most with my events. And that's all stemming from a shitty New Jersey tournament I went to once. Uh, back when I was still in Philly, I drove to a New Jersey event. I drove to a New Jersey event, um, and I got double eliminated by a guy from Philly. I got double eliminated from someone from my own region after I drove out somewhere. I was like, ah, that sucks. So, so I've always carried that avoid regional conflicts, avoid double jeopardies at all costs when it comes to making my brackets there. Yeah, but how... How easy is it to like mess that up though? Because between DQs and how the losers bracket just will churn chaos at all turns, like I feel like this is something that every TO has to make a decision on. Am I going to make this a whole thing, making the same people from a different state play each other, or am I going to seed it in a different way? Like, what do you feel the 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 landscape is and where you land on it in terms of? how many TOs really try to walk eggshells with this and how many TOs are like, eh, this is not really a big deal for me. So one, it depends on the bracket that you're making. Two, it depends on the scale of the event. So for those pit smash presents, they're round-robin pools, and you never know what's going to happen out of round-robin pools. So that one, it's hard to avoid because it's hard to avoid because one of the formats and two for the size of the event that it is, the whole point of those events is to play people regional to Pittsburgh. So if you think of the regions around there, you'd also get Northeast Ohio, Columbus, Ohio, Penn state, Buffalo, New York, maybe some Maryland, Virginia people. So if you run into a conflict there, there are enough matches that the conflict by itself won't be something for something like fight pit where it's a double elimination bracket, and there are players traveling from even farther beyond that. Like, my favorite statistic about Fight Pit 9 is that if you include the different provinces of Canada, we had people from 25 different states or provinces. 25 different regions, double, essentially. Yeah, 20, yeah, 25, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, if you, if you break it down by region, I, I'm including Pennsylvania as both Philly and Pittsburgh for this. Whoa, whoa, but, whoa. Um, One region for Pennsylvania? Yeah, <laughs> which is ridiculous. But, um... But um, anyway, 25 different states and regions. So how shitty would it be if you drove eight hours from North Carolina just to play someone that you could have driven 20 minutes to play against? And in a double elimination bracket, that is something that you can try to avoid. You can try to avoid that. Now, now you end up rigging the bracket sometimes, but like I said, my main priority is avoiding those regional conflicts or avoiding double jeopardy. If I see the... 18th overall player at 21st 
instead of and thus and thereby avoid a conflict, I'm going to do that 10 out of 10 times. Now, granted, if you go to a major scale, you just don't have the bandwidth unless you like hire ex- unless you hire melee stats to uh, to make your bracket. You're just not going to have the uh, you're just not going to have the bandwidth to break it down for all those things. For something like the big house, which has thousands and thousands of people, like I've I lost to uh, one player from Michigan. Uh, uh, Smash MB or something. I think I think that's what his tag is. I've lost to the same person for two big houses in a row, but that's not something that that's not something that you can avoid that much. There, there's just too many entrants there to break it down individually, like I try to do for Fight Pit. Like like for Fight Pit, I I take a look at every single state that each player is from, and look even within the regions. Like okay, a player from Cincinnati. Okay, if they if I can't find a way for them not to play someone from Cleveland then I'll probably allow that one to happen, but I'm going to try my damnedest to make sure that doesn't happen if I can avoid it. Um, so it depends on the type of event that you're going for that, to balance between those two then. That's very true. The other thing that I wanted to ask about Fight Pit 9 that I feel is important, and we're, we're keeping track of scores here so far, you know, like the Mewtwo King, up 1-0, but needs to finish that set. Did you ever get the New England crew their PBR? Okay, so I am one for four on those. Okay, so New England has this meme where they really like Pops Blue Ribbon beer. And as, when I advertise to other, to other regions, I try to make a point to call out their local stuff. So when I would post a North Carolina Melee, for example, I would post my, I would post my March Madness you know, college basketball bracket because they have Tobacco Road. They, they have four of the best basketball teams ever. I would try and trash talk them as best I can. And one thing for New England is because that's such a far drive, I promise each New England person who shows up to Fight Pit a Pops Blue Ribbon beer because it's a meme for them. And if they're going to drive 8 to 12 hours to come to my event, I'm going to treat them as best I can. So of the four New England people who came up to Fight Pit 9, Calvar, Matado, Joy Boy, and Joy Boy's partner, I have gotten a PBR to Calvar. So for Calvar, I saw him then later that year at the Big House 9. So I stopped at the corner store in Detroit, bought some PBRs, snuck them past the security, and I handed Calvar a PBR. Uh, but I haven't seen Joy Boy, I haven't seen Joy Boy's partner, and I haven't seen Matado, so I haven't been able to get them to them. But eventually, I will make it to an event in New England. Uh, I know I know Stock is hosting stuff up there now, and like I said, I, I like doing road trips, so maybe, maybe just maybe, I'll make my way to New England sometime and, and finally get them their owed Pops Blue Ribbon beer. And you could maybe even like find because like Patty was there too. How did you not promise Patty a PBR at Fight Pit Nine? Patty was at Fight Pit Seven, ah. not Nine. And yes, I did get Patty PBRs. I don't remember. <laughs> so so I don't remember if for Seven I got them to everyone there at the event. I remember for Fight Pit Eight, I had the PBR in hand at the event. Uh, well, well, I okay, not at Fight Pit Eight, but the day before at the mole before Fight Pit, I I got. All of the Fight Pit 8 people all at once. For 7, I'm pretty sure... I, I I don't have any like lingering thing in my mind that says I haven't gotten them a PBR. But for Patty, at least, I've been a sub to Alston Melee on Twitch and their Patreon for long enough. I have bought them enough PBRs on my own. <laughs> that, they, that they are... <laughs> they can calm down if they ever want to ask me for anything. Uh, but that that's very cool that you that you show support to Austin Melee and Patty 
in particular that way. That's very, very cool. So Yeah. It's not hard to remember what makes something someone special, right? So for a region who cares a lot for partying and having a fun event fun at events, which is what I care for, which is what Pittsburgh cares for, I'm gonna try my best to make sure they still get that feeling, you know what I mean? Yes. Uh, we'd be uh, obviously be very cool. I just thought I would see what kind of response you had ready for the the PBR story, which I think is hilarious. Just knowing how much that is really it truly is a thing. There was like a whole social campaign that Austin Melee did on Twitter to get PBR to notice them, and that was hilarious. Like I just as a bystander, I was like, "Oh, that's cool." <laughs> Does yeah. this no, mean no, no, no. that all I have to do is like buy a Tesla, convince everybody else in Lancaster <laughs> to buy Teslas, and like at <laughs> everybody in Tesla and be like, hey, check this out. <laughs> now, I do want to make one thing clear. They have, Austin Manley has shown love back to me, too. So, um, with Spinda, with Spinda's help, we we hosted one, um, we hosted a charity event to raise, uh, to raise money for a food bank in Northeast Ohio, where, where Spinda's from. And so, <laughs> I then, wa- I, I wanted to drink and have fun during the streams thing. So, I went out and bought beer and when i was going to buy beer i saw peeber was there so i ended up buying a case of pbr and you know because i i had a few beers in me i was feeling a little warm i then went on my own twitter and added austin melee and said oh i just bought these peebers for to raise money for spinda's charity in ohio will austin melee join in on that because i was doing this bit where uh I, okay so so Remember with Smash, Smash loves to be competitive with stuff. So one of the one of the things I liked doing was that uh, someone made a donation to this event saying that, uh, I don't know, Bambi is the best Falco in Pittsburgh. So then I donated saying, no, Bambi Jr. is the best Falco in Pittsburgh. And then other people started donating like, no, actually, smoke weed every day is the best Falco in Pittsburgh. So when I reached out to Austin Melee, I was like, is Austin Melee the best Falco in Pittsburgh? Only way to prove it is by drinking a PBR and tuning into this this stream. So Shik Shik uh, of Austin Melee ended up donating a lot of money to that uh, charity. Then, so I, I I can't I can't just say I've been a patron for them for a long time. They they have they have paid it back to me as well by helping support that charity for a, a food bank in Northeast Ohio. Warms the heart. Oh, that's so awesome. That's a really cool story. Yep. I wanted to. I wanted to ask you about like your your tournament performance as a TO now because like you said you quickly realized after starting to host stuff you're going oh I'm just not really a competitive player anymore but do you truly not care about your own results anymore it's something that you claimed about but also you want a mole online <laughs> so <laughs> all right all right so here let's start let's start with the uh, let's start with the micro so when I sit down and play a set I do play that set hoping to win. I'm not sandbagging intentionally, uh, unless they're like extenuating circumstances. Like, I definitely have dropped charity games to people before because they looked upset, or like, or like I was gonna force stock someone and like let them kill me just so they didn't have that like thing on their soul. But when I sit down to play a set, I do try to win that set. Now, do I practice anymore? No, I don't practice anymore. Has my skill worsened in time? Oh. Honestly, I don't really think so. I play Sheik. Sheik's really easy. I don't need to practice that much. And, like, I don't think I necessarily have consistent tech skill, but, like, 
I could still enter a mole every once in a while. I'm not going to be missing wave dashes. I'm not going to be killing myself off ledge dashes. Maybe I'm just not doing those techniques as well as possible. I, I'm certainly not optimal, but you know, I can still I can still take some names. I, I like to view myself as a gatekeeper for my scene. Like so many people in Pittsburgh, as they have improved, beating Gumball was a big accomplishment to them. I, I I'm more like a like I said, I'm a gatekeeper. So as soon as someone beats me, that that's a big thing to them. Like, oh man, I'm getting better. I have results to prove it. Majersk, uh, a really popular player now, someone who's really good. He had come up to me before and was like, oh, the first time I beat you was a really big inspiration to me. And like, man, no, I don't care for being a player, but it does feel good to still have some recognition there. Now, as for winning a mole... <laughs> Netplay moles have not been nearly as stacked as uh, as our in-person events for. So that mole only had four entrants at it. So one with four <laughs> entrants, with four entrants, you can run into some weird round robin tiebreakers. So I lost pretty badly to the first seed, uh, WA Matt, a pretty good Falco from from Pittsburgh. Um, but I beat the other two people pretty convincingly. The thing about my loss to WA Matt, though, is he went Mario for a game. So by beating his Mario in a game and making that set 3-1 instead of 3-0, I then won the event because WA Matt lost to someone else and lost and took or won fewer games than I did, thus giving me the bullshit tiebreaker win. So not real at all. I have not improved. WA Matt was the better player that day, but a win is a win, and I have been added to the mole the mole echelon of mole winners. <laughs> and I think it's well-deserved, even if it's like, <laughs> it would be like, <laughs> I mean, at least for a lifetime like achievement. Eli I, I, making the hall of fame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Eli Manning has won two Super Bowls. If, if, if he didn't have those Super Bowls and still made the hall of fame, I, I, I'd be with it, with it there. I, I, the first thing that comes to mind is Dan Marino because he, well, no, no, well, no I guess he still never won at all. Who's the most fraudulent? Okay, uh, what about uh, the Miami Hurricanes quarterback? Uh, you don't even ha- you don't even have to do that. Philip Rivers is a good example. Has a lot of statistics, but no championships. Well, no, well, no, but I guess I do have a championship now. But what's the most fraudulent win? So, so, so the 2001 Miami college football team was like considered one of the best of all time. They had like something like 20 players who would go on to be first round picks or something, L- like dozens of Hall of Famers. Or, well, like, like in the teens of something of Hall of Famers on that team. But except their quarterback, their quarterback was somebody like maybe like a sixth or seventh round pick, never led to anything in the NFL. So like. That team was loaded every single position except quarterback. But I don't remember what his name was. So, so maybe it's that. Maybe, maybe it's like I'm I'm carried by a good team or like good good situation. Um. Uh, that, that this sports analogy doesn't work. This is <laughs> this doesn't work. It does fall apart a little a- bit. Anyway, I, I deserve the gold for lifetime achievements. I've been to so many damn moles. The first mole I went to was in the '70s. I forget which one it was, but I could find it pretty easily. Uh, some mole in 2015, and we're now past 365. I think we're on 370, 373, 4, or 5, or something now. Like, I have been to so many damn <laughs> men on a ledge tournaments. <laughs> I, I, do, I deserve at least some lifetime achievement award there. I absolutely think that you do. Okay, so 
if we can start to segue a little bit, there is a topic that we're going to talk about here, and we sort of like halfway prepped for it before we got started here. We talked about it in the Twitter DMs about the uglier side of TOing, if you will, where it's like about needing to hand out bans and to enforce those. And it's a it's been it's been a topic that has definitely had a lot of eyes on it or conversation on it. And Twitter is never really a functional place for having any sort of nuanced conversation. You're just kind of like leaning very hard into one opinion or the other and you'll fight with whoever wants to go against your particular opinion for whatever reason. And it could be literally about anything. It could be about a color or it can be about a pencil versus a pen and people will just make it seem like a really big deal. But when you actually have a real serious discussion point, something that needs to maybe exist in a different setting, people still be doing the thing on Twitter. So this will be a little bit difficult to talk about, but that's the best way for me to intro it is about bans and enforcing bans. So you can speak from a general perspective or you can speak from a specific circumstance, but what has your overall experience been in terms of that part of TOing? Yeah. So it's definitely a rough topic to talk about, but it's so important to do that. As a TO, you are the forward facing member of your community. And if you don't, get rid of people who would make it a worse event for other people. You are doing both your attendees and you're seeing an injustice. So what originally prompted you to message me was a player named Ultima Scout from Philadelphia. So I haven't really been a TO in Philadelphia specifically, but I can give a little bit of a background there. Ultima Scout is an old school player who was known for trolling, uh, being toxic, being this, that, and the other thing on Smashboards on Facebook, on Twitter, on every single medium that was online. Everything except in person. He was the worst person ever. Worst troll, spouting bullshit, like this, that, and the other thing. Really bad person. But really bad online, really toxic online personality. But in person, he never displayed any of those values. And now, it was something he would admit to if you asked him about it. He said, oh, I'm just trolling on there. He would never admit that what he was doing had any effect on people. He just thought he was... He just had a fun time making people mad. He was a troll every way you can shape it. And so he would skirt... He never had any real ramifications for his bad actions because in person which is where he would meet T.O.'s, figures who had the power to ban him from the scene, he was nice to them. I, I considered him for a friend for a very long time um, because he was a nice person in person. He came to a fight pit. But as time goes on, and that type of trolling behavior, which was admittedly a little bit more commonplace back in old school, when he continues to do that type of thing, shows no remorse whatsoever, and even expands on it. Like, he was banned specifically last summer because he had some anti, anti-BLM anti messages on there. Transphobic, like, toxic, vile, like, mean, bad stuff. Stuff that you should ban players for. And so he was banned last summer for that, but in the minds of TOs in Philly, <laughs> at least one in particular, uh, him being nice in person was the thing that stood out to him. So 
what prompted me to make a tweet thread was one tournament organizer in Philly, uh, Moosh, the TO for uh, Smash at the Laboratory Tuesdays, announced that he was going to unban Ultima Scout from his event and uh, have a policy where he is going to unban multiple other players who were banned last summer due to the allegations. Just, just a generalized thing. A generalized statement saying that he was in favor of unbanning players that were banned last summer for those allegations and a specific unban of Ultima Scout, which led to a huge thing. Um, a huge Facebook thing, and I had a pretty long tweet thread about it. If you, like I said earlier, if you are a member, if you are a TO, you have to put on the best face for your community. And someone like Ultima Scout, who had been known for years to be toxic online and had gotten even worse, it is ridiculous, one, to unban that player. Like, I still don't know what went through Moosh's mind besides, okay, he was nice to me in person. One, it's ridiculous to unban that player, and two, it's kind of ridiculous to claim that you're ignorant of the situation. So when we brought this information up to Moosh, Moosh made a point of like, oh, I didn't know all of these bad things were happening. Like when we showed him screenshots of public posts, he was like, oh, I didn't know that was a thing. And I don't think ignorance is an excuse for this type of thing. Moosh has been a player in the Philadelphia scene for years and years and years. He must have seen Tim Davis pose before, and if he didn't, that is a very poor reflection on him as a tournament organizer. It's your job. You need to keep up to date with the community, and you can't look past that just because he was nice to you in person. And even then, (laughs) make such a public post completely anti-supporting victims and stuff along those lines. That that, that situation is bad, however, however way you slice it, but... That one in particular isn't one I quite have the finger on the pulse as much. For that one, that was me reaching out as a player who used to live in Philadelphia who was passionate about this type of things. So so I personally did not ban Ultima Scout when that happened. I, I mean, he was banned from Pittsburgh, but it's not like I had to reach out to him personally. It's not like I made a public-facing ban announcement for something like that. Uh, I We have had to do that for players in Pittsburgh, like generally, there have been players who've raged, you know, throw a controller or something, give it the give them a temporary ban for two weeks because one, when you throw a controller, one, it's just dumb. Like, it, it's just silly to be risking your own personal material. Two, if you throw a controller, <laughs> what if you throw it at someone? Like, like, like that was a thing that happened in West Virginia. So, someone, like, we had to ban a player from West Virginia because he threw his controller at someone. Like, a GameCube controller is light, but it's not like you couldn't ever use it as a weapon. Like, there's the infamous uh, ch- uh, chillin' dude choke cord story. Like, theoretically, you could harm someone with a GameCube controller. And three, this is the biggest part to me, you have to know what vibe you're giving off for the events that you're running. So for something for someone like a Rager who's making a big deal storming out, you have to think about the effect that's having on the other players there. So when we banned one player for raging, I got like four or five direct messages thanking me for that, being like, oh, this player in attendance, their rage, not only for this specific bad situation that was a lot worse that made them get banned for raging in the first place, but they made it, multiple people made a big deal to me that it was great to have a scene where that type of thing isn't tolerated. And it's great to have a TO staff who will call that stuff out on the spot 
and to make sure that doesn't happen again. Now, granted, with some Rangers, it's kind of built in their personality. You have to just keep increasing the band limit until they learn. Um, so, so, so that one's that, that one's rough, but uh, there have been even worse things that have happened. Like there, there was we had a predator in our community, someone who was grooming minors and had multiple victims. And when we first heard about it, um, it, this is like, like <laughs> I'm going into some deep topics here, Jesse. This is like my biggest regret as a person is that uh, when we first heard like rumblings about this, we couldn't confirm it. And even then, um, we didn't know anywhere near the 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 stakes of which it was. Like uh, when we first heard about it, we thought, oh, you know, it was just she was. The uh, or the um, the predator was really friendly with one member of our community. Uh, we thought it was weird, but we didn't have anything to go on. But within a week or two, not only did we learn that that wasn't just being friendly; it was grooming, it was abuse, it was rape. There were multiple victims there, and I still have so much regret in myself for not doing something sooner. Like there. There are bad people in the Smash community who will take anything that they can give them and make things a worse thing. And that's why I always try to make a point to other tournament organizers. Like, you have to do things for your community. You have to ban players who aren't, who do bad things. You have to create a safe environment for people because otherwise, you're opening yourself up for potentially horrible, horrible things to happen. And I still wish I had done more at the time. I've done more to ban this player. We, we banned them from Pittsburgh, and they moved to a different scene. So just this damn week, Jesse, I've had to reach out to player to TOs in a different scene to let them know about this predator who posted on their Facebook group saying that they wanted to play people. They wanted to find people. It's ridiculous that... That these predators are out there and they're they're not being kept better track not not better track up because we kept that ban private in respect of the victims. But oh man, <laughs> sorry to just talk your ear off there. But but this this is something I'm passionate about. And this is something I care very deeply for. Well, it's why it's why having a ban list that TOs can access is very important because even if yep. even if people try to smurf or you know hide their identity, like oh, I'm a new player. Here's my this is a brand new tag, and they can maybe try to do stuff like that to avoid attention until a while goes by and somebody says, "Wait a minute, <clears throat> you're f- actually banned in a different region, and you've been like yep. you know." doing that whole thing yeah i wouldn't know specific circumstances about it but just having heard enough of the stories from 2020 and then leading on into the into this newer era where when something like this starts to become public facing uh, it kind of gets ugly on twitter in particular for a little while and people going back and forth back and forth and i i usually for myself always think i don't know any of the circumstances. I just hope that the TOs have enough access to this information and the people involved to be able to make a solid decision one way or the other and to enforce that. So that seems to be a big challenge where if this name or circumstance is not noted on the 
on the documentation list that I was referring to, which has like dozens and dozens, like probably a hundred plus names. If it's not there, it, it seems like that that's the only true resource that I am aware of as just, just as someone that follows along the community, I'm not a TO, but I'm curious from your perspective, like how do you try to try to pass along those things other than reaching out yourself because you're involved in enough public spaces like Facebook groups and discords and whatnot that you can do that. But you probably feel to the, to a certain extent it's, it may not be far reaching enough to be able to push back on people trying to constantly get back in. Yeah. So I, you you referred earlier to the the global ban list that CAGT makes. So so I, I did reach out to CAGT to, to make sure to get this person added to the list. But um, man, I I wish we still had the uh, I wish I wish we still had Doctor Piggy's uh, like a uh, community panel, the uh, the the uh, the community conduct panel. I wish we still had that. It, it, it's these broad things that are bad about the Smash community that I wish we were better on. And so, yes, of course, I will reach out to TOs. I will try to reach out to whoever things that happen there. So, like, for, for this person who moved to a different region, I, of course, reached out to CAG to add them to the to the global ban list, but I also made sure to reach out to local TOs from that region as well. So it's not just reaching out to TOs, but I try my best in, like, just talking to people to make sure that the general principles of, like, believing victims, um, it's okay to ban players... Try to make sure that your environment is a safe environment for all attendees. It's those important types of things that... It's hard to think of a specific of which I'm helping there, but just generally talking to people. And not just smashers. Like, or, or, Well, not well, one, not just smashers. Like in real life, too. I, I talk to a lot of people about this type of stuff. But not just TOs. Players, too. Like, If you see something weird going down at an event, make sure to tell a TO. Um, and... You just have to hope that that TO is competent enough and willing enough to put in the extra mile, or do the do the research, try and figure out how best to help people. Because if you don't do that, then you risk allowing your event to become a platform of abuse. And that is something that happened at events that I ran. They met through the Smash event, and I wasn't keeping a good enough eye. When I first heard the rumblings about it, I didn't do enough immediately. It's important really really important to try keep to keep your best eye on any things like that tell people if you hear about it try and get the word out as much as possible because otherwise that's how that's how abusers get by by people not knowing about these things like pe- people talking about people use the word cancel culture as if that's a bad as as if that as like as like some buzzword but it's important to not have people who are going to take advantage of you and your community, you and individual people that you know, real people, real lives. There are people who are going to try their best to take advantage of that, which is why you have to be ever watchful, keep an eye on everything, and believe victims when they reach out to you. This this type of thing is important, is what I try to stress in every aspect. And I think that's obviously like the about the best that that any individual can do is just to be like um is there anything that is happening right now that is like off and hopefully the person who is in charge of the event is someone that can help with that in some way it's just so difficult to mix the community aspect with like the real life aspect and it is it is so so hard because 
we're not TOs are not people that have like actual litigation or or resources like 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 an army of lawyers and courts and whatever else to like put people into like a system like that 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 is a very very big challenge to translate that in a way that is actually meaningful to make the space safer but accountability is something that everybody can do not just the tos you as a yep. player you as a person who enjoys melee and whatever public space and especially online if there's something that's weird if there's something that's starting to cross the line there's just you can do something about it even if you're not immediately sure what to do there are hopefully people that you know where hey um this is a thing so i don't i'm not really sure what to do with this information hopefully you can at least start there yep if you don't that, know on- what to do yep yeah you're 100 percent right jesse another thing another phrase that i like to say is two things can be true like Someone can be a really good player and also a predator. So, so th- this is this is like a big thing that's been happening in, in the ultimate scene. Like, like, like many of their many of the players that were banned were their really good players. Just because someone was a top level player doesn't mean that they couldn't also be an abuser. Someone like Ultima Scout, just because he can be a very fun person to spend time with in person, and also a toxic enough person to ban from the scene overall because of his online behavior. Two things can be true. Don't just assume because someone is a top-level player or because someone was nice to you that they're not also capable of being bad in a different way. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think that resonates with a lot of people who, who feel like that in general, and it's also a separate topic, but in general that there's a certain amount of protection and status that being a top player means. Or if you find another way to sort of like boost yourself up, you kind of start to become immune to certain accountability measures. But that becomes even more important because when the stakes are higher, like you, it has to be even it it becomes even more important because someone who is more in the general eye of the community that more than the region that the player is from the person is from knows like if this is a worldwide known or well-known person throughout the country like the united states or what or whatever it may be if everyone's looking and seeing that person for whatever BS reason is not going to be held accountable to their negative actions because the quote unquote benefit outweighs the bad or lesser of two evils or whatever you want to spout out. If you're going to say that, then everybody who sees that and observes that then says to themselves, so that can just happen anywhere then that can just happen in my specific region like with maybe even someone who i'm thinking about sort of displaying similar characteristics and then those people who are actually displaying bad characteristics go oh well <laughs> i can get away with this stuff then because look at that yep. person yep exactly so something that i feel is worth just going over sort of quickly i mean we can take a little bit of time on this but that i really appreciated seeing was when smash europe put out a tweet saying we've put together a list of people of tournament organizers who have signed to this document who 
are going to ban hacks from their specific tournaments that they organize. And here are the reasons why, and we acknowledge that there's back and forth on this, that the things that hacks has raised are, those are things, but these are the reasons why he is going to be banned from the events of the signees. And it's basically all of the majors, a lot of regionals, locals who have signed and more TO sign every day or whatever I, I want to say. But like basically almost everyone that you would know in terms of running a regional or major in the United States has at least signed that. So one of the things that they said was we're referencing the code of conduct that was written by the code of conduct panel, which again, like you said, was led by Dr. Piggy. It was to me something that I thought was really necessary because even if there is no code of conduct panel that we can rely on currently, that we're still trying to more or less say, this is important. We can't let this totally go away. We're still going to use this material. We're going to try to do our best in terms of different tournament organizers working together to more or less put out an effective like worldwide ban on a player for, for the reasons listed. It doesn't necessarily need to be hacked specifically, but it's just the most recent example where I'm thinking and saying this is good that the code of conduct is still being referenced, still being used, and it needs to be... Sometimes it has to be public facing because the 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 circumstances around it were public facing it doesn't always need to be that way but when it needs to be it needs to be like firm and i i really like the document itself in this particular instance i thought it was thought it was well written and it was just plain and to the point so all of those things i thought that's that's good. It sucks because you don't want to have to have this sort of thing happen in the first place, but when it does, like there needs to be what I what I feel happened, which was a a strong unified response to the circumstance. Yep. I I agree completely. Like I read that document and I like like you were was very impressed by the language that they used to explain the ban and how they got so many people to sign it. I I almost wish they had reached out to me because I would have signed it in a heartbeat. But you're right in that your main point in that um, the the code of conduct panel may not still be around anymore, but it is so important to make sure that we continue on what they sought for. We have to keep on their message however we can. Um, it, that was such a great resource for our community, and I'm, I'm sad we don't have it anymore, although I can understand why considering what... Um, <laughs> what we, what our community, unfortunately, how, how we treated Dr. Piggy, but um, that panel was so good for us, and I'm glad to still see it living on, even if it's not within the panel itself, living on through its morals, meanings, and messages. Hopefully not that it has to be Dr. Piggy taking up the helm and starting a new code of conduct panel, but I, I, I do feel like in the future this sort of thing will have to be necessary again. And I don't know how it happens, but it's just something that I hope for that I, that I wish I would see at some point down the line where everybody talks about in-person events coming back and everybody's really excited to go to events and see friends and hugs and all that kind of stuff. Like we're all really excited to, to do that sort of stuff. And it was really cool to be able to attend my first in-person tournament and, the people that I talked to there were all really excited to be back in person. You know, everybody's vaxxed up and whatnot. So doing it safely as well, also very important. But 
I do feel that to a certain extent, I wish that there would be a little bit of a conversation. And I guess I do it in my own way in terms of the podcast, in terms of the conversation we're having now, which is to say, as all of this happens, we also want to hopefully be purposeful about, oh, can we also be just as excited to continue to cultivate and maintain a safe, welcoming environment for everybody? Yes, definitely. <laughs> you hit the nail on the head with this complete conversation, Jesse. And it, it's not its not just this conversation that we've had. You've had multiple podcasts where you've talked about this issue in particular. I remember um, the episode that you had with um, with your wife, I, I believe, Jen, right? Yes. That that podcast dealt with a lot of similar issues along these lines. And you're doing a great job for this community too, is the point I'm trying to get to Jesse. Oh, well, thank you for the kind words that that's, I appreciate that. I also appreciate how you're willing to talk about it because TOs for better or worse, I, I do feel as if a lot of responsibility that just naturally occurs for a TO and a lot of you don't start TOing because, Oh yeah, we want to have, a very important responsibility of maintaining safe, welcoming environments. Most of the time it's because somebody says to you, Hey, you need to help me run pools. And then all of a sudden you're a TO or you say to yourself, I don't think I'm a competitor, but wow, I really enjoy setting up all of the, all the different setups in the venue. And, and, you don't get into it for this, but eventually as you continue to grow and evolve and mature, you eventually realize this has to be part of it as well. And a lot of it has to yep. do with p personal conflict, sorry, not personal, like confrontation and yeah. conflict. And then you have to pick sides and whatever else, but you, you, you have to start to maintain that as well, that in order for there to be awesome, sick melee, or smash events in general, since there is a little bit of a crossover average wise between all events that are held, but that you have to maintain this part as well. And that as messed up as it can be sometimes, that is something that it, it is important. And I, I, I do try to like, like you said, try to have this conversation at least once in a while or to acknowledge that things like this are happening because it's so cool to see stuff like Summit 11 being around the corner. And I love talking about that kind of stuff too. But I just feel like if we, if we uh, forget is, I don't want to make it seem yeah. like a, like a animal farm well, scenario where we forget about stuff that has happened in the past, but I, I don't, I, do I certainly want to learn from it. Yeah. I do think it's important to keep it in mind because it's such an important topic. If, if you don't, think about it, talk about it, talk about it with others often enough, it is possible that you're not considering it at different opportunities there. Um, like, this is such an important topic, especially for TOs. You had that whole point, most TOs don't choose to do that. But, like, TOs often have responsibility thrust upon them, and it's important that they use that responsibility in order to make a positive change on the scene there. So part of that responsibility includes what we're talking about right now. That includes the confrontations with other players, making sure you have a safe environment, keeping a track, keeping an eye on this stuff and making sure to have conversations about it. So it's not some elephant in the room, an elephant in the room in this example could trample 
all of your attendees make make a lot of lives worse so it's important to keep this stuff in discussion in mind this isn't something this isn't some topic that you can just go without talking about this is important and which is why i've enjoyed this conversation so much so to start to get in the direction of wrapping up we can move on from this and we can try to wrap up with something that's uh, a positive note because I do like to end conversations in that way. I would like to ask you about what, well, not what mainly means to you, but like you, you've talked about this a little bit where you say, I'm very passionate about this game, very passionate about TOing and I want to continue to support Pittsburgh because I'm here. And as long as I'm here, I want to be involved at least in some way. But even after all of the things that you've gone through already and you've been doing this for a long time. So don't sell yourself short in that way. Like you've been doing it long enough that there's, there's definitely, there's definitely something that has been left behind that you've had a direct influence on, but why do you continue to say to yourself, this is something I want to do as you continue to live your life? Well, I love this game and I love this community. Melee has been in, has been since as melee has been my favorite game since I was a kid, since I was in high school, since I was in college, since I am now. It is an amazing game to play, and I have met so many incredible people in my journey playing it. Whether that's in Philly, whether that's in Pittsburgh, whether that's traveling to other out of region events, I love the game. I love the community so much. I'm still going to do whatever I can to do that, including making a stamp on my community. Like, as TO of Pittsburgh, all, all of these topics I've tried to make a point of earlier, I've tried to make that a big deal in our community. Um, try to make it a safe environment for attendees. Try to make it a fun environment for attendees. Try and make it a scene that stands out, not just for quote-unquote good TOing, not just things running on time, but for a community where people feel safe they're willing to be themselves in a community where melee is not at the end of the day is not the only thing that matters. I, I, one of my favorite tweet threads I, I made ever on the PGH smash thread or the PGH smash Twitter was shouting out so many individual aspects of players that make them special. So Charlie Brown, I mentioned earlier, very good YouTuber makes super Mario 64 speedrunning videos. Um, Lod, not from Pittsburgh, but lives up in Erie. He, actually skipped one of the fight pits to enter a talent show to play uh, a musical instrument. I think it was the flute. I don't know specifically. Uh, Lore, one of our players, extremely good artist. I, I could keep going on and on with this type of thing. It's important in terms of community building to have that sense of community. And one, of, <laughs> it's important to have a fun environment and that can only happen as long as people feel comfortable which is why I make such a big deal out of dealing with harassers and stuff and which is why I hope whenever a new player comes to Pittsburgh they have a good time they'll want to come back it'll be a special event and fuck it (laughs) come to Pittsburgh it's fun (laughs) I love that and so the the last question that I think I have for you is do you hold your breath when you go through the tunnels on the turnpike Oh, no, not at all. Oh, come no, no, no. on. I, I have done that trip so many times. It's <laughs> it's not, it, it, 
Jesse, I don't think you realize because in college it was for every holiday. So for for Thanksgiving back and forth, Christmas back and forth, uh, spring break back and forth. During the summer, I would make trips back up to Pittsburgh all the time. I have done that trip way more times than I can count. And also, I love road trips and driving. I am comfortable with my car no matter how much space there is between the... Like, if I don't have a shoulder going through the tunnel, I'm still fine. It's like when people, you know go super slow trying to pass trucks. Like, they're doing it slow because they're uncomfortable. If they went fast and got around it, they would get that uncomfort over so much faster. And I just go fast around everything because I'm comfortable with it. I do not hold my breath at all with those tunnels. And that's why the Amish uh, can frustrate you so much because... Yes, exactly. (laughs) That is exactly right. You have brought this full circle, Jesse. (laughs) They, Although, they're never uh, going to get to the optimal level. Yeah. Like if they were a melee player, they'd probably be <laughs> at my speed right now. Yeah, yeah. Although I have a question before for you before we close. As I understand, this is a uh, this is your first recorded podcast since you went to that event uh, last Saturday. Correct. So how, how did you like it? How did you, you mentioned you went O two and. I know that you had those interviews of players, but how was the event? Did you have a good time? Yes, I did have a good time. The The nerves that I was talking about before kind of rolled off once I just got yep. through that initial like, okay, so Jesse, Cypher, this is, this is Mushi, this is Kitchen Table, this is, and like going through and I'm like, well, I won't remember everybody's name off the bat, but it's nice to meet y'all. And they were like, hey, hey, welcome. And I was like... Okay. All right. Got that part over with. Names are the hardest, especially with Smashers, because some people only go by their tag and some people only go by their name. (laughs) Like, (laughs) names are really hard for me. So with Smashers, it's like double. (laughs) But like one of the one of the players, Mary, that that that's his tag. Mary was was saying, I've played everybody here at least 100 matches, at least 100 times over. It's like so cool to be able to be back in person again. And I'm thinking to myself, except for me, I'm like... (laughs) so behind because everybody has like known each other for so long and played each other for so long but like I, I, it was a it was a privilege to be there because it was uh, kind of like listed as like an invitational and Jesse the tournament organizer Jay Bobison was saying to me love to have you come out so like he he knew that by inviting me or uh, not like somebody else was not invited or at least I don't know that but they knew that I was going to be definitely be like seated at the absolute bottom. I was not going to be someone that was going to surprise anyone or whatever, but like they wanted me to be there. So like, that's what I was telling myself going there. I was like, they want me to be there. So like, this is going to be awkward at first and whatever, but I just got to get through it. And you were at the bottom of the Jay Bobison house party mountain. Exactly. I mean, that's why I call it bottom smash mountain. I'm not trying to fool anyone. (laughs) I am not a good player, but maybe as I go to more events that can sort of start to change, we'll see, but it's been really cool to, looking back. I remember playing Mushi, my first ever tournament set. I was in winners for a grand total of three and a half minutes. That's how long the set took. <laughs> it, I probably wasn't even that long. Like, <laughs> I was like, so well, what, what, do you do rock, paper, scissors or what? And he's like, do you just want to go to battlefield? And I was like, yes, thank you. Let's just do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that that is a that is a smasher classic not wanting to do rock paper scissors and just going straight to battlefield although uh, i have a rock paper scissors thing but i, I don't know if you wanted to wrap up i, I don't need to go let's to rock paper scissors the story yes go please by all means okay so i am a rock main through and through 
my whole life, Rock has always been the coolest character. I, I have so much fun smashing anybody that comes into my path. But the thing is, like, been a Rock player for years. I'm pretty good with Rock. But I still find myself, like, it's such a bullshit matchup. I still find myself losing to, like, the scrubbiest of paper mates. Like, I was playing my little cousin the other day. Day one paper mate, three years old, goes paper and beats me. It's ridiculous. So, I have always tried working on a scissors secondary because I know my scissors can beat some paper mates. But the crappy thing is, when my scissors goes up against a rock, it loses. And I'm a rock mate. I know that scissors actually beats rock. So it's ridiculous when my scissors ends up losing to rocks. It, it's ridiculous. Rocks can't catch a breakout here in this world. Uh, but at least you have bands for the best of three. I'm sure you get really frustrated, though, when you can't. No. <laughs> yeah. No, no, Did you make this, that this up? Is, this That's is like a... who's on first base. No, 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 no. I made this up a long time ago. One of my classic bits is to just to complain about my character, but like... Not in an actual complaining way, in like a very like facetious type thing. Like Sheik is a low tier is another bit I do. So, spoilers, I don't actually believe that. But Sheik sucks and she's awful. Uh, so Sheik is a low tier. Uh, just like Rock is actually the worst character in Rock Paper Scissors. And uh, now I have to ask if Sheik did not have such a laggy landing for her up B, would Sheik be the best character in Melee? Well. She, all right. So, so a lot of people have this argument on where she is in the tier list, right? But when you think of the head-to-head, but for worst character in the game between Sheik and Bowser, Bowser's got to win that head-to-head. Bowser can just hold down, and what does Sheik do? Sheik doesn't have anything to do that. So if you up, if so, if you buff Sheik's up B, maybe she can recover against Bowser's horrible or. or pretty good edge guarding on her. Maybe she has a little bit more room to grow there, but with her slow aerials, weak attacks, and honestly just horrible neutral game, there's there's such a hard time for Sheik to have success in the meta. So even if you upgrade her up B, I'd probably still put her in the bottom tier along with female wireframe, Sheik, Bowser, and Sandbag. <laughs> Oh, right there with Sandbag. Wow, doing Sheik dirty. Well, well, no, 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 you don't know about Sandbag, though. Sandbag can't die. Sandbag cannot lose a stock. So if you somehow go the whole match without SDing, sure, you can beat Sandbag, but good luck doing that for eight minutes. Uh, because of the, um, the insane mental pressure that Sandbag can put on you. Because Sandbag may be off the stage, you know, just floating in the bottom down there, but the player is not. The player can just start trash-talking you. Get get that insane mental 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 damage there. <laughs> Who's the best sandbag in Pittsburgh? Is it you? Uh I'm pretty good with sandbag. I I'm at well okay, so I'm a male wireframe main. I'm just limited by the constraints of our time. So I have tried to petition uh Fizzy to finally patch in male wireframe to be allowed to use on Slippy Replay. Giga Bowser was legal for a little bit, but my the main the, the six non-traditionally accessible characters should be legalized in my opinion. Giga Bowser, uh, Sandbag, Male Wireframe, Female Wireframe, Master Hand, and Crazy Hand. If we're talking about the best female wireframe in Pittsburgh, that would be the lake. Best male wireframe is a bait. 
Abate actually also plays male wireframe. He has a whole combo video of male, male wireframe, unironically. W- one of the best combo videos I've ever seen, just because it's so ridiculous. Um... <laughs> you should watch that combo video. I'm, I'm not even okay. The the bit the bit is on hold for a little bit. A bait has a male wireframe combo video. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> like, and I played it. It's good. It is good. Like, like he has spent actual hours grinding male wireframe. Now he doesn't have the tech skill like I do. When I grind male wireframe, I'm trying to find the best aspects of the character but as far as like getting the proper mix up because on for example on spaces male wireframe up throw can chain grab if if they di in but on a way if you mix in an up tilt or regrab you can then get them on really bad di if they if if they get hit with male wireframe up up throw up tilt if i remember right i don't know i don't practice melee anymore so i'm a little behind on my male wireframe tech skill (laughs) You would probably have better luck getting Team Acania to add in male wireframe. <laughs> they might have that on the character select. That, that, that's a good idea. Yo, male wireframe in volleyball? Yo, me and a bait, male wireframe teams in volleyball versus, I don't know, whoever, Mango and Lucky. They just can't, s- they just can't handle you. <laughs> Because no no well no male wireframe is actually good in volleyball because his his up his up air is massive. Imagine okay so you know how Captain Falcon is the most busted broken character in the game. Think about Captain Falcon's up air, but like multiply that one by one and a half. Male wireframe having up air honestly makes him a better character than Cheek. Oh okay no 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 that's too much of a bit. Male wireframe's up air is almost good enough to make male wireframe not completely awful. Does that, it? <laughs> that move is busted. Better up air than Fox up air. Uh, Fox up air definitely has better killing power, but as far as utility, like male wireframes, like neutral is predicated on that. Like you get you gimp with it, you edge guard with it, you combo with it, you play neutral with it. I don't know. It's massive. It, 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 it is a neutral tool on its own. <laughs> So can you uh, tell the people where to find you, either as a bit or your real socials <laughs> and such? Okay. Uh, follow me on Twitter, at Johnny Gumball. No H. That's very important. If you spell my name with an H, I will be upset. J-O-N-N-Y Gumball. G-U-M-B-A-L-L. I'm sure I'll be linked in the description of the podcast, as Jesse always does. I do try very hard. Uh, yeah, only follow me on Twitter. I don't really use much other social media. And I spend all of my day on Twitter. So if you follow me, then I don't know. You'll, you'll see some shit posts retweeted or something. <laughs> yeah, let's go. So that just about wraps everything up. The last thing I will I will say is you were one of the, the day ones, if you will. So I wanted to say thank you for retweeting and for like basically just like dropping the follow and like more or less making yourself known because some people and it's not really their problem or their their responsibility to tell me a podcaster I listen to your podcast but you made that enough of a thing that I noticed and I was like oh that's very cool okay cool T.O. let's go I want to talk to T.O.'s but I feel bad because that was a while ago (laughs) and we are only just now getting you on so if you'll accept my semi-apology on that I also want to attach it with a thank you because you have been like one of the like one of the day ones so 
it's been really cool to finally, finally have you on to hear more about you. All right. Well, one, it's an honor to be on. Uh, two, I, I love this podcast. I, I, I'm a really big podcast person because I'm really into college football. And so, like, you get a lot of content from just listening to college football podcasts. Uh, and I love watching – I love listening to, to yours because – it's interviewing people I like with interesting stories from the melee community. It, it, it's very much like my go-to melee podcast nowadays. And you have on so many fun guests. I, I think the first guest I remember uh, listening to yours was Patty of Austin Melee. I met Patty at Fight Pit 7, really good guy. And, and all the time seeing him since, you, you know, really really good person. And, you know, watching his YouTube uh, on Austin Melee, really good thing. And listening to the podcast interview for that, it was great. And then you have on the rest of Austin Melee. Like, I've met Shook Shook in passing before, but, like, I don't know Ted Green. I don't know um, uh, Michael. Wait, is it Michael? Oh, Mike. no. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mike, yeah. Cave yeah, Lemon, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, okay. yeah. Cave Lemon, that, that's, okay, I was looking for the tag. I, I, I try not to say the first names of people when I could say their tags if I've never, like, met them. Like, we had at least DM before, so I've been saying Jesse instead of Cypher. Anyway, um, you had on so many interesting podcast guests that I wanted to hear from, and you had such good <laughs> questions, you did such good research. Um, it was just... And you were from Pennsylvania. That, that's also, a, that, that's also a, a benefit. When, when, you're, when it's someone local, <laughs> especially interviewing local people that I care about, it, it's easy to... Easy to join there. And you don't need to apologize for this. I, I, I'm very low ambition when it comes to Smash stuff. So, like, I'm I'm not ever going to be the person to, like, DM you and ask to be on your podcast. You know what I mean? So so the fact that you reached out to me was, like, great. It, like, I, I was honored to be invited onto this podcast then. Um but, but this is the thing that comes up with TOing too, because there are some TOs out there who will like. Don't get me wrong, persistence is a good thing, but there are definitely some TOs out there who will like message, 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 like like DM over and over and over and over and over and over again, like any single person, multiple, multiple times. I'm not that type of person. I like to let my actions speak for themselves, or just like try to have a good enough first message, and if not, I get the point. So, wait, where was I going with this? Um. You're a humble guy. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm a humble guy, and I, I'm happy to be on. I'm happy to keep supporting the podcast. Uh, happy to keep listening. Uh, I'll, I'll keep doing whatever, Jesse. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me on Bottom of the Smash Mountain, Johnny. Yeah, of course. Come to Flight Pit next year. <laughs> or, well, whenever we have one. <laughs> Absolutely. What, what? Are you not going to ask me what, what does the cow say? Why is it so quiet? Oh, right, transition. Woo, you made it. Congratulations. And hey, I made it too. <laughs> the reason why I am laughing a little bit about that is because it is now the next day. It's 12.09 a.m. I've been up a little while getting this edited and ready to go. I try very hard not to stay up this late because I have work and I have a family and all that stuff, but I'm doing it because I got two more interviews this week and I'm a busy person. So, <laughs> uh, when do I sleep? Um, I mean, uh, well, that's not important. Anyway, <laughs> I was actually just about to press stop recording to record a new ending, but you know what? We're going to keep it because if I record another ending, that's going to take more time and I'll be up later. So I am taking care of myself on an okay level, 
but it has been a little bit crazy because we are now officially going to be moving into a new home at the end of July, beginning of August, and I got all kinds of details about that. And as you heard during the interview, I also went to my first tournament ever, and I went 0-2, and it was really fun. And I would love to talk to you some more about that, but I'm going to save it for the next episode because I am tired. So we will get back to this. Don't you worry. But thank you so much for joining me for the interview today. I'll catch you another time very soon on the next episode of bottom of the smash mountain where we talk a little bit more about why i'm moving into a new home and why i went oh and two (laughs) i mean it's pretty obvious i'm not good at melee but you get it thank you so much for joining me and yes like i said before we'll catch you next time